So here we are in the new year, 2023, and I wonder if you made a New Year's resolution to eat better or exercise more. Be honest, did you make one of those New Year's resolutions? How's that working out for you? <laughs> Some people make it about a week, and then they're like, I see no benefits in this, I'm done. But some people try harder, they go a month or so, and, and even then, if you don't see change, you know, if, you, if you're suffering through some things, you don't see changes, that gets frustrating, am I right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think what really makes it worse is if a couple does it together, and the husband in one week loses 20 pounds, and his <laughs> wife loses 0.22 pounds. You ever seen that happen before? Oh man, I'm sorry ladies. I don't know why it happens that way, but it does. And uh, yeah, a lot of suffering for 0.22 pounds. Did you know that only about 10% of people actually follow through on their New Year's resolutions? Yeah, only about 10% actually make it through the year and actually accomplish the goal. Because there's just a lot of suffering in it. It's change. And if you don't see the benefits, you kind of will give up. I wonder though, do you have any spiritual goals for 2023? How many of you made a spiritual goal for 2023? That's fantastic. If the pastor ever asks you that question for future reference, you should always raise your hand. All right? Just say yes immediately, just like when your wife asks you, guys, if uh, she looks good in that dress. Yes! Yes, immediately. No pauses, no hesitations. You will get yourself in trouble if you pause. But who has a goal to read the Bible more this year? Anybody have a goal? Oh, lots of you. Good. How about to pray more? Anybody have that goal? Yes, even more. How about to serve more? Oh, less hands went up. How about to give more? Lord Jesus, they all raised their hand. Thank you, it's a miracle. I'm kidding. But I wonder, will only 10% of you follow through on those spiritual goals? Does that hold true for spiritual goals as well? Will it be 10%? I wonder if after a little while, you don't see immediate benefits, you might give up on your spiritual goals. I wonder if... When you try to draw closer to God, because I know many of you, um, you set these goals, and sometimes you, know, you might be here for the first time um, because you had a goal to go to church this year. And if you don't see those benefits, will you give up? If you, don't, uh, if you experience some suffering, I wonder if you'll give up on those goals. I wonder if you pursuing God things will actually get harder before they get easier. You know, there's a common perception amongst Christians, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, many of you will, you think it's your spiritual gift. (laughs) Kidding, kidding, kidding. But if you seek God, then God will bless you. I mean, James said, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So there's a perception then if we read our Bible more, God should reveal himself more to us. If we pray more, God should answer more of our prayers. If we give more, God will give us even more than that. We love that verse, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And didn't God say, do unto others as you would have them do do unto you? So therefore God should be doing to us what he expects us to do. But I'm going to tell you some of the things I just said, and I hope some of you are kind of like, eh, that didn't sound right. Because when we take verses out of context to make them say what we want them to say, when we put God's words 
or our words into his mouth, that, my friends, is going to get you in trouble. Don't do that. What is the truth? If we seek God, if we honor him, if we obey his commands, if we try to bless others, will our life get better? Yes. Will you be blessed? Yes. Will it happen immediately? Maybe. Could, could life get harder before it gets easier? Probably. And will you suffer because you choose to follow Jesus? Possibly. And here's the most important question that you really want to ask. Can God use your suffering to bring glory to himself? Absolutely. Absolutely. I want you to know this up front, my friends, especially if you're new to this whole Christian thing, because I will never mislead you. I know some preachers will mislead, some Christians will mislead, some will tell you that the Christian life is all about the blessings right now and they're referring to the earthly blessings, the health and the wealth and the prosperity. But let's face it, that's not always true. If you choose to follow Jesus, suffering is a reality. Sacrifice is expected. Jesus was not joking around when he said to his disciples in Luke 9.23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. We have this scripture verse that we can bring up on the screen. If Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus wasn't joking when he said that to his disciples. He wasn't kidding around with them. The cross in the time of Jesus was a symbol of suffering. It represented an excruciating, painful death. So the followers of Jesus understood that if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to take up my cross daily and I'm going to be what I titled this message, I'm going to be a suffering servant. Did you know it wasn't until the 4th century when Constantine took power in the Roman Empire that the cross became a symbol of triumph instead of suffering? Constantine banned crucifixion. He made Christianity the, the official religion, if you will, of the empire. And he painted the cross on the, on the uh, shields of the soldiers when they went into battle, saying this, this was a symbol of victory. Today we wear necklaces that have crosses. It's our bling, if you will. We've made the cross glamorous. But I doubt many Christians think of that cross they wear on their neck in terms of Luke 9.23. Take up my cross daily. This is a symbol of suffering. And this is why I preach through the books of the Bible. This is why we're preaching, I'm preaching through the book of Exodus. Because if I didn't preach through the books of the Bible, I would probably never preach on suffering. There are churches that are out there, and you can find them. They're around here. You don't have to go far. And they will only preach on feel-good topics. One sermon series after another. How to be blessed. How to live your best life. How to find joy. And everybody loves those sermons. I like them too. But you need more than a little bit of sugar in your diet, don't you? Yeah, you need... Your body needs vitamins and minerals to be healthy. Your spirit needs the whole Word of God to be healthy. You picking up what I'm laying down here? 
You need sermons that, that make you uncomfortable in your chair sometimes. You need sermons that will dig up those roots of bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, so that you can lay them down at the foot of the cross and get forgiveness. You need a sermon called Suffering Servants. Just look at the prayer list in our program. Just take a look. We, 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 always, we always make that a, a separate piece of paper so that you can put that in your Bible or put that up on your fridge so that you'll be reminded to pray with all of us. When you look at that prayer list, what do you see? I see suffering. I see all of us suffering in one way or another. I see we're grieving the loss of someone we love. We have serious health problems. We have financial problems. Our heart bleeds for friends and family that don't know the Lord and we pray for their salvation. Suffering is a reality in this life, isn't it? Yeah, but we're not alone. This isn't new. This has been going on for 2,000 years. In fact, the New Testament, which is 2,000 years old, shows those authors that wrote that, and as I like to say, um, they didn't write it on their own, God moved the men who moved the pen. The Holy Spirit was inspiring them to write the Word of God. And when they wrote, what did they do? Most of the time, they wrote about suffering. We don't see, proportionally, the way churches preach what we see in the New Testament. They talked about suffering. I'll rattle off some some verses here so you know what I'm talking about. Paul said in Romans, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Good news. If children, then we're heirs with God. Better news. Heirs with Christ. Provided, he said, we suffer with him. In order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul said, I consider the sufferings of this present time not even comparable to the glory that will be observed or revealed to us later on. Paul told his mentee Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, Timothy. Peter wrote to the church, for to this you have been called because Christ has suffered for you, leaving you an example so you will follow in his footsteps. John wrote, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Do not fear, you are about to suffer. Everyone in the New Testament is telling Christians, Suffering is part of being a Christian. You're suffering servants. But I want you to know the purpose of it. you got to know the purpose of the suffering. Because if you think Christianity is all about suffering, well, that's not very exciting, and that's not really the purpose of it. It's not so that you'll hurt. The purpose of suffering is not because God is mad at you. It's not because of your past sins. Believe me, I've counseled so many people and they think that their life is the way it is because God's mad at them or because of something they've done in the past and God will never forgive them. Those are lies. That's not true at all. It's not because you even lack faith. God has a plan for your suffering. And here's what I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything else, please hear this. God will never waste your suffering. God will never waste it. He has a plan for it. He has a wonderful plan for it. He will bring glory to himself. And don't you see that in the life of Jesus? If you've ever read any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, if you've ever read the New Testament and you see the life of Jesus, don't you see that? 
Don't you see that, that that suffering that he did on the cross was for God's glory and ultimately for ours? He died for us so that we could go to heaven, so that we could be forgiven. That brought glory to God because God loves us. Jesus' suffering leads us to our salvation. And today we're going to see the same thing in Exodus. The Israelites suffered as slaves in Egypt. God appointed Moses and Aaron to lead them out of the suffering. However, before God rescued them, before the actual Exodus, it got harder before it got easier. They went through some tougher times, but God did that purposely to bring glory to himself. And I think I know what some of you might be thinking. I think. I may be wrong, but I know what you might be thinking, and it's okay. You might be thinking, God, that's a really dumb plan. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. You want me to suffer so you can have glory? Be honest. You're, You're thinking that a little bit, right? And the reason why you're thinking that a little bit is because you're a Christian in America. You're a Christian in America. We live in a culture that seeks to live the easiest life possible. Think about it. Our founding forefathers wrote a constitution that says we pursue life, liberty, and happiness. I mean, people live in other countries want to come here because you prosper in America. Just yesterday, I was here for a meeting and an immigrant from Romania walked through our doors asking for money because he wants to get a green card so he can live here in America. You don't suffer here in America. You prosper here in America. That's why American Christians don't really like it. It doesn't really resonate to say that we're supposed to be suffering servants. This doesn't make sense to us, just so God can be glorified. But when you read the Bible, that's what you see. And today... All over the world, there are people following Christ and they are taking joy in suffering. Seriously, they, they, they actually enjoy it. They embrace it because they know the purpose of it. It glorifies God. They see that it brings God glory. And that's what I want you to see today. I want you to not... Think of yourself as an American Christian for a day and think of what the Word says, what God says, and know that God doesn't ever waste your suffering. He uses it for your glory. And so now we're going to see that in the book of Exodus, and I'm so excited to be back and to dive back into the book of Exodus. Are you excited to get back into Exodus? We're in Exodus chapter 5. Are you ready, church? All right, say, we ready. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. May it teach us, may it show us your truths, and may we not just see what we want to see, but may we see the truth, and may it set us free, and may we love it and embrace it. And Father, even though we suffer, God, may we see that suffering as a way of bringing you glory, and may we do it, God, all for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, can you open to Exodus 5? If you would like a free Bible, there are blue Bibles, um, paperback Bibles, uh, somewhere in a chair near you. Uh, Take it, it's yours. We have them in the back by that coffee cup that Connie promised you. You can have for free. 
Uh, I drink from mine every morning. I love it. Um, but yeah, have a free Bible. Uh, this, it'll be on the screen, all the verses that I typically are teaching through. I like to teach verse by verse. But we are ch- covering the whole chapter, Exodus 5, so I won't be hitting every verse, but the main ones here. Verse 1 of Exodus chapter 5, the second book in the Bible, written by Moses. It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord. And by the way, is Lord all capitals in your Bible? It's not on the screen, but in uh, some Bibles it's all caps. I'll explain why in a second here. The Lord, the God of Israel, Moses says, Charlton Heston's voice, Let my people go. (laughs) That they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. So Moses and Aaron are going to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt here, and they're saying, let our people go. Now, in case you are just joining us, how many people are we talking about here? Two and a half million people. Okay, This was Pharaoh's slaves. Two and a half million people, roughly. Um, if uh, Verse 2. But Pharaoh said to Moses and Aaron, Who is the Lord? That I should obey his voice and let all of you go. I don't know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now, why is the Lord all capitals, uh, and why isn't it on my screen? That's a good question. (laughs) That's my fault. I put them in there. But uh, sometimes in your Bible, if the Lord is all caps, it's actually referring to, when you see the word God, by the way, if you have the ability to look up the original word uh, in Hebrew here in the Old Testament, you'll see different names for God. And this name here is the name that I've explained to you and taught you about um, in the past messages, which you can always see on our website and our YouTube channel. But the name is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. And the name Yahweh was the name that God revealed himself to Moses as the self-existing one, the one who has always existed. He said, I am who I am. And that's important because Jesus talked about calling him, he called himself I am, the great I am, in John 8. But here, um, you know, Moses is, is explaining to Pharaoh, like, I am. Yahweh is this Lord. And, and Pharaoh, you have to understand something about Pharaoh. He was um, a believer in pantheism or polytheism. He, he believed in many gods. In fact, he believed he was a god. That's right. It was a descendant of Ra, the sun god. So he believed he was a god. He believed in many gods. So he worshipped all kinds of gods. And he basically said to all his advisors and says, "Who? you guys know Yahweh? Anybody heard about Yahweh? I don't know this Yahweh you're talking about, Moses. I don't know who that is. I'm not letting you go. There's no way. There's no vacation for you. No soup for you. I hope you don't have a boss like Pharaoh. I mean, he's a horrible boss, as you're going to see, right? He's a horrible, he's a dictator. So in response to Moses and Aaron's request for a three-day vacation, <laughs> that's what you'll see in Scripture if you read it, they asked for three days to go worship God in the wilderness. Pharaoh says no, and he makes life harder. This is what I mean. It's going to get harder before it gets easier. Verse 7, we dropped on to verse 7. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. So before their job was to make bricks, they were building a huge 
probably a pyramid, uh, a building, a couple buildings for Pharaoh. And um, they were forced into this labor. And um, they were given the straw to make the bricks. The straw, of course, reinforces the bricks in order to make uh, this building. And they would put it in uh, as layers. You know how in cement um, they put iron, you know, to reinforce it, the wrought iron? Some of you are like, yeah, I saw them make my driveway. They did it, and they put that, or you've seen them build roads. You know what I'm talking about. Well, straw does the same thing for bricks. Well, Pharaoh says, I'm not giving you the straw anymore. Go find your own straw. So they had to find their own straw, and they had to same, make the same amount of bricks, which really uh, is a, an impossible feat, by the way, for them to do that. And by the way, archaeologists have discovered these buildings, and what's fascinating is, is when they found them, they found the different layers of bricks that were put down, where the straw that would have been provided was in some layers, and then in other layers, there was a different kind of, like, it looked like weeds or, or um, stuff that they basically, you know, stubble that they just went out and found. I mean, that's what they had to do. They had to go out and find weeds or whatever they could use, and they actually, archaeologists have found those layers. So this um, really did happen. <laughs> Uh, a lot of times people think, oh, the Bible is just a bunch of stories made up. No, this really happened. And our, I love it when science catches up, you know. It's, it's great. So it's getting harder before it gets easier. And the result of their failure to make the bricks, because they can't go out and get the straw and make the bricks and still meet the quota. The foreman of the people of Israel. So Israel had foremans and, and um, the Pharaoh's taskmasters uh, had set over them. Well, they beat those foremen because they weren't getting the job done. They said in verse 14, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? I think that was a rhetorical question, because they were beating them for not meeting the quota. Verse 15, The foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? Now, here's what you need to see. Here's what just happened. The people of God went to Pharaoh for help. They didn't go to God for help. And that's a problem. They went and cried to Pharaoh. But they had Moses and Aaron. But they went to Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron were, 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 um, had already talked to them about what God was going to do. But here, when things got a little tough, they wanted to give up. When things were, when they were suffering a little bit, when they didn't see benefits, they turned to Pharaoh, not God. In fact, they wanted things to just to go back the way they used to. And they will do that again and again and again. And what were Moses and Aaron doing while these uh, foremen were, were meeting with Pharaoh? If you picture the scene, okay, they were outside of the place of meeting. And all those foremen were in talking to Pharaoh and complaining and asking, why are you doing this to us? And Moses and Aaron are just waiting outside. And here it is in verse 20. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. They came out from Pharaoh. They said to Moses and Aaron, the Lord, look on you and judge. You have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. You've put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses and Aaron, you have made our lives worse, and we hope God punishes you too, because we hate you. You're making us suffer. It got harder before it got easier. 
And even Moses and Aaron were distraught and very confused. How do I know that? Verse 22, Moses turned to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done this evil to these people? Why did you ever send me? Remember, remember back in Mount Sinai, he's like, don't send me. I don't want to go. He had like five excuses. Remember that? We went through those. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, this verse right here, 23, reveals Moses is just like us. When we want to seek God, we expect things to change for our lives right away. And Moses says, when I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. He thought if he obeyed God and talked to Pharaoh, things would get better right away. And I know many of us think if we go to church, if we start reading our Bible, we pray a little bit more, we volunteer once a month at church, things are going to get better in my life right away. But what's the reality sometimes? It gets harder. Here's why. Do you think the devil likes it when you seek God? No. He hates it. The devil's perfectly fine with you staying at home and going to that church called St. Mattress. He loves that. He wants you to go fishing Sunday morning. Do you realize the temptation I fight every Sunday morning? I love to go fishing. So the devil is going to try and make you suffer if you seek God. And he has convinced Pharaoh to make the Israelites suffer. But God doesn't waste your suffering. He uses it for your glory. In fact, when you read the book of Romans, you'll see that Paul quotes from Exodus. Paul quotes Exodus 9.16 in Romans 9. He says, and this is it, this is the reason. This is the reason why they had to suffer. This is the reason Pharaoh was allowed to do what he did. Paul says this, or quotes Exodus, Moses actually wrote it, but for this purpose I have raised you up, Pharaoh. This is God talking to Pharaoh. Through the, through the mouthpiece of Moses. But for this purpose I have raised you up, Pharaoh, to show you my power, so my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. I have allowed you to cause suffering on my people, so my name will be proclaimed everywhere, so I can save this world that I love. It's the proof that God will never waste your suffering. He will use it to bring glory to himself. The Christian life is always going to involve suffering. And you don't have to pursue it. Please don't pursue it. I know there's people out there that, and it's a, it's a sadistic thing, it's not good. You don't have to pursue suffering. Just follow Jesus, it'll find you. <laughs> All right? I mean, that's what we see, right? When you love people and you love them and you're broken by their lostness, you're going to make sacrifices so that they can hear the gospel and as we like to say around here, sometimes ministry gets really messy. It does. Because sometimes our lives are a mess. And there's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some sacrifices. But genuine Christianity, it, it, it's all about being a suffering servant. And you don't regret it. You embrace it. Because when you suffer like Christ, that draws you into a deeper, abiding relationship with him. Do you want a closer relationship with God, with Christ? Then, then suffer with him. And don't take my words for it. Take, take Paul's words. This is what Paul said. 
to the Philippians. He said, Whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And if you know Paul and you know his previous life, before he became a Christian, he was, he was on the road to being a religious leader. He was top of his class. He, 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 was, he was top notch. Everybody looked up to him. In the world's terms, you know, he was CEO. But he gave it all up. For this sake, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrections and share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. My friend, suffering is all for his glory. And it has a glorious purpose. And as I read to you these final words, and then I pray for you, just let them sink in. Receive them the way God wants you to receive them. Paul said to the church in Corinth, really speaking to us as the body of Christ, hear these words as if God is saying them to you today. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry in our body the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be easily seen in our daily lives. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your Word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit teaching us, showing us truth. Father, I don't ever want to take for granted what you've given us. I don't ever want to run away from something that's hard when you'll use it for your glory. Father, help us to embrace this teaching. Help us to see that this is truth. This is, this is what it means to be a Christian, that we're suffering servants, that we make sacrifices like your son made for us. And we do it to love others. We do it to bring you glory. We do it because it's your plan. And we do it with a consistent hope for that glory that will be revealed to us when we enter your kingdom of heaven. Father, I thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen.